0: Welcome to the Vortex Nation podcast, brought to you by lovers of hunting, shooting, public lands, the Second Amendment, and good food. All right, everybody, we know... uh... This one's going to be a pretty exciting one because we have Nick Loffenberg and Ian Clem across the table from Mark and myself. And uh, when it comes to long range, competitive shooting, uh, in fact, too, I'll say precision shooting as well, because we're going to talk about all different types of precision shooting competitions and uh, even the definition of what long range is or what constitutes that can, can change. Uh, some of the things we'll probably bring up here are like precision rim fire and whatnot, in which case you're shooting extremely preci- precisely and, and require a great deal of precision, but the distances might not be as great as then when we're talking about ELR, extreme long range. And even that's a bit up in the air as to what people think is, is ELR. So, very excited about this. I think between you guys, we've got a lot of experience in the varying types of precision or long range competitions. And so, yeah, let's just dive in on what all somebody could get into. Like, you know you want to shoot in a manner that's, that takes a lot of forethought, some knowledge of ballistics, it takes some knowledge of how, you know, projectiles fly through the air and then the whole rifle setup, uh, but you're not sure what outlet you want to go about uh, exploring
1: that in. So, Mark, you have, uh, as usual, some paper up here. You've got, <laughs> got a list. Got a little printout. Got a list. And, and yeah, I mean, Jim, I mean, long-range shooting, precision shooting is getting so popular. It's so hot right now. We always talk about that. It is. Uh, there's so many different disciplines a person can get into, and part of it is like, you know, where do you even, how do you even find out about these these different things? And hopefully you're finding out on the Vortex Nation podcast. But, I mean, Ian and Nick, welcome. What a rare treat to have these two together, Jim. Ian. Absolutely, It's it's just always it's always fun having you on and we don't we don't get you enough. Thank we need you. you over here I more. I appreciate so. it. I like this. <laughs> maybe maybe we back up a step though cuz I'd like to hear kind of how you guys got into long range shooting and maybe that might sure. maybe that story might kind of help a person along their long range journey. Sure. Yeah. Alphabetical order I think would put
2: Ian first. Okay. So I started short range shooting uh in the basement of a Catholic grade school we would shoot uh Twenty-two long rifle, small bore. It's called fifty feet, I think. Indoors. a lot of people get their start that way. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> church basement rimfire. Well, shooting. it was a uh, father-son league for the winter time. So, what else are you going to do? Weeknights in Wisconsin in the winter, you're going to shoot um, down in the grade school. Um, <laughs> so, it was it was it was great. It was that's sort of how I cut my teeth on the whole competition thing. It was fun. I took score, you know, tried to beat our dads. It was it was a good deal, and then. Then I remember, even before I could drive, I would ride my bike down to our local bookstore in the small town I grew up in, and they had a magazine rack, and at the very far corner of the magazine rack was, like, hand loader magazine, rifle magazine, and something called varmint hunter magazine. Oh, yeah. And I picked up the varmint hunter, and I was like, what? These guys are shooting prairie dogs at 300 yards, 400 yards, so I saved up all my... Uh, Construction money and bought a 22 250. I bought a a Ruger number one falling block single shot 22 250.
0: That's a classy gun.
2: Yeah, well, uh, you know, I have this cross dominance left eye, right hand, and it was a single shot with a top tang safety, so it was kind of ambidextrous. And um, dad had a number one, so I sort of romanticized them a little bit. But I wanted to be one of these guys in the magazines that would go out to South Dakota and set up. You know with a bipod and and uh, I think I had like an eighteen power scope, which was more power than anyone in my town had. you know it was <laughs> yeah. like a huge, huge scope, and so learned how to hand load for it and shooting little forty grain nozzle or ballistic tips at almost four thousand feet per second with this twenty two two fifty and had a blast we uh We called them our cowboy trips. Dad would drive me and like two of my buddies from high school, and we each had one of these kind of varmint rifles. Either a two, 223 or 22250. One guy had a 220 Swift. It was kind of neat. And we would uh, practice like finding a prairie dog that far away, trying to see, okay, what's the wind doing, you know, and we'd spot for each other and had a really, really good time. Because before then, I think the longest shot I had ever taken was maybe 150 yards at a crow back home here. So that was big country, big sky, and long range. And it came home, you know, with stories to tell your friends, and, and you were a hero for, for shooting this prairie dog at 400 <laughs> yards. So that was my introduction into real, what I consider to be long range, like shooting further than what you were comfortable with or, or had to that point.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you were shooting prairie dogs with a Ruger number no. 1 before you could even drive yeah. and, and hand-loading your own ammunition.
2: It was nice.
0: It, was, that it was a neat way feel, to grow up. That makes me feel like I wasted my first 16 years. <laughs> I, mean, I, don't even know, I, I don't think I could do anything
1: before I could try. <laughs> anything cool, at least. Uh, that's awesome. What about, I mean, like, back back then, uh, which I can... Uh, rangefinders. I mean, did you guys even no, have rangefinders? No, there was...
2: Yeah. No one No one heard of rangefinders before. We had, like, the old-school mill dot reticles with, like, mm-hmm. the, the football-shaped mill dots. Um... Adjustable objective parallaxes and and if we knew how to use them, you know, good luck. You know, we'd put it at whatever number looked cool and start shooting. Oh yeah, but it was very very crude. But it was sort of that that golden period of ignorance is bliss, where you don't really know that much, but you're still having a ball. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you wish you could go back there. (laughs) Um, But no, it was it was uh, it was a lot of fun. And then it was sort of. It was sort of like someone pushed you over this this hill where you just started picking up speed. You came back home and you're like, Well, how can I how can I do this here in Wisconsin? Are there any um, you know, ranges in the area? And then you start hearing about, Well, there's a six hundred yard range in Eau Claire if you you know, if you drive up there and and it was it was there was a lot to follow, but that was sort of like the the thing that got me going, and then, well, can I apply this to big game hunting too? You know, if I get good at shooting these little things, then I can shoot something bigger, easier. So, nice.
1: That's awesome. You know, you touched on, I don't want to get too deep here, but you touched on something that I think in some ways, like, helps define long range in a way. It's like challenging yourself, challenging kind of your your personal uh, effective range and challenging your comfort zone, and then, like, your limit is your limit you know mm-hmm. and then as you get better you can shoot further more accurately more precisely so i think oftentimes we think like oh i have to be able to shoot like this far or that far it's like no it's like where where are
2: you at yeah. you know and then ch- and then to challenge yourself very incremental goals and gains along the way you set like a new standard for yourself where now i'm satisfied with this level of precision see if i can't ratchet that down a little more by exploring some of these other things that i haven't been doing yet And then now you have a new set of standards for yourself and set a new goal according Mm -hmm. to those.
3: Yeah. All right. Awesome. How about you, Nick? I grew up uh, always being in the outdoors, hunting, fishing. Uh, My dad was an outdoorsman as well. He's a very talented archer. Um, He's competed in the world uh, competition, I think, four years. So he's, he's very good, and I always wanted to shoot with him. So I got into shooting bows and... I was pretty good in the competition area and, um, I turned 12 and it became time for me to go hunting and I had buck fever, worse than I've ever experienced, like any type of nervousness in my life. I couldn't hardly stand in my tree stand and I was just shaking so much. I wounded a couple of animals that year and it completely turned me off hunting with a bow. Um, it just, I Mm -hmm. don't know what it was, but that, like I just said, nope, if I'm going to hunt, I'm going to do it in an ethical way. I'm not going to wound animals. I'd always been pretty good with a rifle. So I decided to kind of put all my eggs in that basket and okay, I'm going to be a very competent rifle hunter. So I started shooting rifles a lot. I bought my first long range gun, which was actually a 243, uh, not a 243, 223 actually. It was a Savage. Uh, it was their Model 10 police sniper rifle in their uh, oh. stock. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that thing was pretty badass. Good. Um, Good choice. And I did a lot of work with that. Uh, I, I learned how to shoot kind of with that. I started wanting to push things further. I eventually sold that gun, got a 308 because. Everybody knows you can't be a sniper unless you have a three oh eight, right? <laughs> Correct. <laughs> so uh, That's so, so I, true. Because I th- that was a quintessential long-range cartridge in my head, right? Um, so I got the three oh eight, which I think a lot of people do start off that way, which I, I'm really happy I did because I put a tremendous amount of rounds on there. I didn't think you could burn out a three oh eight. I successfully did it. Uh, I think I probably had somewhere around 7,000 rounds on that rifle. So I did got into long range shooting that way and I always want to push that envelope a little bit further a little bit further Uh, started hand loading um, had a family friend teach me how to hand load when I was in my early 20s kind of continued to expound upon that learning new techniques better equipment and then kind of got on the competition side of things. When I started with Vortex, my first year at Vortex, I was working here for just a little bit over a year before my first match. Mm-hmm. And uh, I fell in love with competition long-range shooting.
0: I feel like, I mean, yeah, when it comes to competition, sort of anything, whatever hobby you're into, it's you can sort of doink around and just have fun with it and, you know, plink or just recreationally do it. But, but there's always going to be people who decide... Yeah, it's not enough. I've determined this is definitely my thing. I don't really want to have another thing, or maybe maybe this will be the biggest thing that I have. And so I've got to find a way that usually, usually when you get into competition, you're able to go to places and areas that have maybe have been closed off just to that competition. So you can do stuff that's more exciting, bigger, better, compete against people that are maybe better and, and stuff like that. And you can really test yourself. So I've, that's kind of that logical next step
3: for somebody. To mark's point earlier he brought up you know what what is long range shooting and that is you know, what's long range for you i remember when i got that 308 uh when i started we got a just an eight inch plate that has been beat to hell now but it's still ticking when i was able to hit that eight inch plate at 300 yards i was just like enamored just could not believe the fact that i hit that like that was long range shooting that's so far yeah i know right and that I mean that's a chip shot now right but that at that time i was tickled to death and um I mean, by the time before I start or started working for Vortex, I had increased my point to, um, I was able to take that same 308 out to 1,350 yards. We had a gong out of my parents' house and it was a 20 inch plate. So, I mean, it was under two minutes and it was, you know, way past transonic for that 308. I mean, it was, you know, 2,600 feet per second gun shooting a 175 grain bullet. You know, That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So,
0: yeah, it changes. Um, so, getting into the the competition side of things, you know, the thing we wanted to really go over today is, all right, you've determined maybe that, that you enjoy this lifestyle a lot. You want to make it a sport. You want to really push yourself in it. What are all the different avenues that you can do that, and what's kind of the differences between them? What's the unique attributes to them? I think also, the fact that there are so many different forms of precision slash long-range shooting competition just shows that you know, there's so many different kinds of guns that you can get. There's so many different kinds of uh, ways that you can shoot, places that you can shoot. Um, But I mean, where's the, where's the first logical place to start? Would it be with something like, I mean, in my head, I'm thinking, start with, and this isn't necessarily what somebody should start with, but where our conversation should start, maybe like the Precision 22 stuff, because that seems like the easiest Mm -hmm. to just Go and do,
1: yeah, yeah, I absolutely, think, and that's what I was thinking as well, Jim. You almost break it down. You have your rim fire and your center fire, yeah, yeah.
0: So precision rim fire. Now, if you're not familiar with that yet at this point, you may be scratching your head because you're thinking like somebody, somebody actually wants to go out and shoot in a precision manner with my old ten twenty two. The answer is yeah, mm-hmm. uh, that is pretty much it. But uh, Nick, I know you do you've done some of this. Mm-hmm. Have you yet? Okay yeah um, now I know you know a lot about it, but uh, what's what's the whole deal there? Is it pretty much you can take any old 22 out
3: and yeah for the most part, I mean if just as far as getting into it, I mean the, always that first step is always the hardest. Um, so if you have a 22, don't need to go worry about you know spending thousands of dollars on a brand new 22 and getting a new scope for it if you just take what you got and go try it it's the quickest way to also figure out what you need to change about your equipment. You know Mm -hmm. um, you might find that, okay, well maybe my gun does need to be a little bit heavier or okay, this four power scope just isn't cutting it. um, Or these cap turrets just aren't cutting it. So being able to get an idea of what you want to do from that, just by at least jumping in at some point, there's also different types of 22 disciplines. I know we're probably referring right now to like NRL 22 or 22X, but there are, there's a lot of precision sports that don't even use scopes. Um, mm. So iron sights, you know, so that's another thing. Uh, so there's a lot of different types of 22 disciplines as well.
2: Ooh. Yeah, actually, the uh, <laughs> the Rimfire F-Class National Championship is going on right now. Um, Wait, there's
0: Rimfire F-Class? Yeah,
2: yeah, absolutely. Oh, um, shoot, I didn't even know that. I didn't yep, know it either. <laughs> yep. um, so it's just like regular F-Class. Uh, I'll talk about what that is, I guess. Um, but it's uh just with the 22 so same deal prone slow fire um i think the course of fire for this week is uh i don't know why it's something to do with tradition but uh they shoot 50 yards 100 yards and then 50 meters i don't know why they have to shoot 50 meters and 50 yards but that's that's what they do but yep scoring target you know v-bowl or x-ring um and then 10-9 and so on but uh you know there's a lot to be said for uh not spending your weekend loading 500 rounds of centerfire ammunition yeah. you know just grabbing your 22 some ammo and going and competing i see myself i see myself doing that at some point in the future
1: yeah yeah i mean you t- i mean everybody's busy right you got a family like i love to shoot like you know i want to d- compete here but then uh, if i want to be competitive maybe i'd need to be reloading i don't have the time to reload i mean yeah just be able to buy some quality 22 ammo
2: you yeah. go. I mean, right. that's,
1: that's a big mm-hmm. variable you've kind of removed. Yeah, mm-hmm.
2: and uh, our buddies at Capstone Precision, they own uh, Lapua and, and SK and, and Vitivori and Burger. They've got uh, two different stations across the country, one in Ohio, one in Mesa. You send your 22 rifle to them, right? They take it out of the stock and put it in this special fixture. And then they've got umpteen different lots of like some of the best ammunition you can buy. They happen to sell, but they'll test all those lots through your specific rifle in an indoor tunnel. Mm-hmm and they chart out all the um, relative group sizes, velocities, standard deviations, but basically send it through an algorithm to say this specific lot is optimized or tuned for your barreled action, how much of it would you like to buy? And if you lay into a certain stock of it, uh that ammo you know that service that they've just provided i think is is uh don't quote me on this but i think it's included in that in that deal oh wow so it's a really really cost effective way cuz otherwise i mean you've done this i've done this we mm. go to the our our local store and we try to buy 12 different types of rim for our ammo to see okay which and one does choose. my rifle
3: like mm, you know yeah you know, Find the one you like, and then you go Hopefully buy they it have a, a bunch lot. of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, and yeah. then it yeah. might not be any good anymore. Yeah. Yeah. What,
0: I mean, what you guys are bringing up, too, is, is what blows my mind about the Rimfire competition stuff. And really just the Rimfire world in general, which is that it's always been, I think when we talked in our Rimfire podcast with uh, Seth and Ryan, you know, like like shooting these little tiny calibers and stuff like that has always been, it, it kind of came out of this, uh, like history of people wanting to play games, right? Like It was was sort Mm -hmm. of almost like this uh, sort of goof around type thing, pastime. And now what you have is then people took it more and more seriously. And of course, anytime you introduce some sort of fun, everybody has to like compete to see who can have (laughs) the most fun at it. And uh, inevitably that means beating everyone else at some random thing you made up. But you can take the Rimfire thing as far as you want. I mean, you can have... There's like a Ruger 1022 or something like that that you can just buy off the shelf. You know, every it seems like every major manufacturer has some basic rimfire. And then there's so many people nowadays that I mean, there's plenty of them in our office here that have rimfire rifles that look and feel exactly like a full-on centerfire competition, twenty-plus pound rifle, all that stuff, but it shoots little 22. You know? I mean and and everything matches their competition gun. They got a Razor Gen two on it that's like a two thousand dollars <laughs> scope, and they've got a chassis in it that's like a fifteen hundred dollar chassis or something like that. I mean, all this stuff and it adds up. And they're like all in on shooting this little tiny Kind of just like game cartridges in so some ways. What's comical
2: to me is like even the magazines are like full length, full size magazines and yeah. they've got this little tiny yeah. like twenty two <laughs> sections sticking out of right. front. Yeah. But I guess if it's if it helps you go through the through it, the
3: manual of arms. I do actually so that's one thing I really love about using a twenty two as a trainer. I know a lot of people are kind of against using twenty two as a trainer. One of the things I like about the most is that for one, I, I can actually do live fire without, you know, I'm I'm not not just dry firing. One of the things you lose from dry firing is that even though you're building that muscle memory, you are also not able to see what's happening downrange. Mm-hmm. With a 22, you can see mistakes in your process and your fundamentals. It's it's glaringly obvious when you're doing something wrong. If you have a 22 that shoots really good. And you're pulling the trigger and you're shooting off of a barricade or a structure or something like that. And, I mean, you'll see your shot stringing one way, left, right, up, down, whatever it is. And you'll be able to identify pretty quick, okay, there's something with my trigger pull. There's something with my breathing, you know, whatever it is. So that's one of the reasons why I really like a twenty two as a trainer. And I do use it that way a lot and that's the reason why my twenty two is in a fourteen hundred dollar action and a twelve hundred dollar <laughs> chassis <laughs> and it weighs twenty pounds, you know, yeah. it's it's made to mimic my competition rifle. Yeah.
2: I was some famous gun raider that had a quote that said something like, uh, you can you can tell the seriousness of a rifleman by how serious their twenty two is or something right. like that. Uh, <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Now about how far in uh, general, let's go back, like you were saying, like an NRL 22 or NRL 22X or something like that competition. How far might one be shooting with one of these 22s? Like, What are they even capable of? Most people don't think of them as being more than a 50-yard gun. Right,
3: yeah, most people wouldn't think that. I, c- I can tell you what I've done with mine personally. I think in most like NRL 22X matches, they might top off somewhere around 400 yards. It may go Oof. up further. NRL 22 is listed into a 100-yard range. So 100 yards is the furthest shot. Okay, gotcha. Um, I've taken my 22 out to 500. Once I started passing 500, then I started losing any type of reliability in my point of impact. I mean, I knew what my drop was, I knew where it average, I'm up, but I might be hitting a mil high, mil low, you know, and then hit the target, and the mil high, mil low, hit the target. Hmm. And I can so, see that that's not necessarily you, that's just
1: kind of the unpredictability of what's happening to the bullet at that
3: distance. Well, that range, your your muzzle velocity has dropped off so far right. that, I mean, a change in a, you know, a couple of yards would be a dramatic change in your point of impact. So um, having, I mean, I would, I love actually to look up what my remaining velocity is at 500 yards, but it ain't much. (laughs) If you're starting out with standard velocity, like 1050
2: or so at the muzzle,
3: yeah. If I was uh, like, I'm shooting all subsonics. Oh yeah, you're gonna be like 250 feet per second or something. I don't think the bullet's stable anymore. (laughs) No, Mm -hmm. at that distance. Mm -hmm. And people do go out further. I think the the record right now um, that was set is like 520.
2: We I mean, should point out too people that we've
3: gone further, but it's not been like a, like you have to hit it, and so many target size has to be so big, and you can only take so many shots. Like that record's like 520 yards. I think people have gone out past a thousand and actually hit things that, but mm-hmm. whether or not you call that a slingshot at that, at that too. point. Right <laughs> at that point, you just get somebody
1: downrange to sort of like catch it. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, oh yeah. Got it. <laughs> What I was what I was gonna say there? We uh, if anybody's interested, we did do a podcast on NRL twenty two twenty two X. If you want to look back at that, check mm-hmm. that out. We should move on to our next uh, our next one.
0: What would uh, how did what's the order of your list here, Mark? Do you oh. go to PRS next and all that sort of no thing. No or particular okay. order. Well, I'd like to hear. Let's go to one of the most popular ones out there. Yeah, PRS Precision Rifle Series. So PRS isn't really like it's kind of. A type of shooting happens within PRS, right?
3: Yeah, so PRS, that particular name, Precision Rifle Series, is actually an organization. Kind of like NFL or NBA. Yeah, and then there's also the National Rifle League. Those two organizations have basically the same type of shooting going on. Just two larger organizations within the United States, governing bodies, kind of. Okay,
0: got it. Now, how does that type of competition work? If somebody showed up to one of these matches, what would they be seeing
3: there? So this is, this is probably where if somebody wanted to get into precision rifle and didn't know what direction to go, this would be one of those kind of definers. So PRS, NRL, those are considered to be action shooting sports. So like three gun is an action shooting sport. And that is because it is more of the you get up and run with your gun, move, get to position, position, you're changing things up. Um, so it falls under that class. And so if you want to do precision rifle, but you're not, like a lot of guys that are getting into it later in life, you know, maybe they don't have good hips or anything like that. They, they can't get out of positions quickly. It might be harder for them to do that type of sport. Okay. So, um, but in that type of competition, a lot of people talk, to, call them like a tactical field match where you're, you take a precision rifle. In fact, I think a lot of precision rifles used in PRS and NRL mimic, uh, f-class rifles in a lot of ways i mean people are even putting tuners on their barrels for, i mean which I, i've really only seen in f-class before but yeah the
2: technology seems to like kind of trickle down like it might get generated in the bentress world even and then it'll be a few years and the f-class guys will start looking over there and oh that's working for them i'm gonna try yeah. that and then it sort of trickles to the to the right. precision stuff
3: and and we I, I think everybody is just we're always looking for that next level up you know yeah. maybe uh a gun that shoots a half minute just isn't good enough. I mean, and it, and that's a lot of that psychological, but mm-hmm. it's all about de- increasing your percentage of hitting a small target. Um, so if I can have my gun consistently shooting a half minute, that might be fine for me, but the next guy, he feels like he needs to be consistently shooting a quarter minute. Well, if you're consistently shooting a quarter minute, that gun for one is probably a hell of a nice rifle, but on top of that, you know, something like a tuner can always put that back in You know, as you have throat erosion, as you're you know, seating depth becomes more uh, crucial. You can go back in and, and go ahead and retune your rifle when you get to the match, bring those groups back in, and, and go out and shoot.
0: Yeah. And the thing I like about these types of matches and this type of competition, at least this is the way it works out in my head, is that you've got, and we've mentioned it a couple times now, like F-class and bench rest and stuff like that. Those ones are where somebody's just really putting so much forethought and so much uh, intentionality and work into a lot of things that happen before even the shot and obviously you know they have to take the shot just right and there's a lot of marksmanship aspects that happen to that reading wind whatnot but there's so much that happens up to that and and I know my personality personally is one such that I can't put all my attention on one thing for like a super long time or really keep it there because it's just easily distracted and all that stuff the, the nice thing about what we're discussing here with PRS, NRL, these uh, more action shooting precision matches, is you kind of have to be a little bit of a jack-of-all-trades, and you have to allow yourself to make compromises in some areas. Because you're on the clock, you know, there's a certain time limit you have to make all your shots within, and you're shooting from uncomfortable positions, and you're you're doing a lot of different things that once you're trying to move and you're trying to... Strategize over: Am I going to go over here first, or am I going go over there first, or you know, how do I? I just have to even remember the order. I going to say remember the order of the, the operations, and so you kind of have to allow yourself to make more compromises, and your mind right. has to switch gears a lot. Which I just for somebody who's maybe slightly ADD, like <laughs> it uh, it satisfies that. Uh, that bit of just always scattered brain mess. You love chaos. <laughs> I, I do. Um but that's that's what's pretty fun about it. Like you you have to know about wind. You have to know about ballistics, you gotta know the fundamentals, you gotta know all that stuff, but then you know what hits the fan and the whole thing's going and you're on the clock and something goes wrong or it changes and you have to adapt on the fly
1: and it's just I mean, that's where the action shooting, like you mm-hmm. said, Nick, kind of comes into play. Well, you're applying all those same fundamentals. Like the fundamentals don't change, but your position changes or the barricade changes or the whatever you're shooting off changes some very, very unique scenarios from what I've seen. Yeah. And it's being able to, I guess, apply all those fundamentals or be mm-hmm. able to read that situation.
2: There's a lot going on. It's challenging. Yeah. Even yeah. from an outsider looking in, like I've never done PRS, but when I when I see some of the match reports from Nick and, and just sort of follow along as a fan of, of competitive shooting, Tony will come home and tell me about mm-hmm. matches he's shot. What seems attractive to me is, is the problem solving. Like mm-hmm. you are presented with this unique uh, scenario and maybe you have five minutes, ten minutes. I don't know what's typical in terms of like, planning time or, or strategy time sometimes you don't even know until you get there
3: yeah a lot of it is I mean sometimes you'll have blind stages so you okay. walk up there and you cannot see what you're going to do the RO or read the stage to you and you're going to go do it
2: yeah so like Oy.
3: if you pride
2: yourself on being able to adapt and like making a good thing out of sort of a challenging situation that sounds like mm-hmm. a lot of fun yeah. yeah yeah that and the
0: other thing that I'll just throw out there there's something about Action shooting sports that just kind of makes you feel a bit like a badass. You know, I mean, it's just you know, like
2: you don't think F-class shooters with our elbow pads and our spectacles and Look, monocles laying down are badass? I think these guys are badass in a very yeah, very unique <laughs> way. All right,
0: it, it, it's un, it's undoubted. I mean, you can't you can't deny the fact that what you guys do is pretty badass in terms of, even if you just look at our episode numbers, the F-Class episode that we did with you guys was one of our top episodes. Because everybody's so curious about it. They all want to know what it actually takes to shoot that precisely at such long ranges. But if you look back to when you're a kid and you're playing toy guns with your buddies or whatever, everybody's always running around, hiding behind stuff, and, you know, like, pretending to, you know, you shoot, like, rubber bands or BB guns or something off of, like, a rocket, something. I mean, everything that you ever fantasize about at least me when i was a kid with my bb gun in the backyard was like oh, run over here and <laughs> hide behind this and then try and shoot that thing and then i'm gonna run over here and hide behind that and try and i mean it's just sort of like what i just naturally did and then all of a sudden you become a grown-up the gun gets bigger the distances get further and the obstacles become like a bunch of welded together pipes or like rocks and or rooftops and all this stuff it's right. it's crazy but yeah, the monocle I d- stays the same. The, <laughs> d- we should actually, yeah. The monocle might be. Uh- don't
2: get the don't the flex the uh, barrel rolling skills in uh, in F class too often. <laughs> Unfortunately, but that's probably that might be a
1: good segue though because F class like a different set of challenges, right? Oh yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. So it's an international form of competitive shooting. So it's governed by this thing called ICFRA. Let's see if I can get it. International confederation full war rifle association so full bore is sort of like the uh, global term for what we call high power in this country so ICFRA is made up of all the different countries respective NRAs as like a consortium we're talking like 25 countries now everyone from Germany Japan South Africa um, Italy Ukraine you name it and so it's sort of this it's a timed type of competition, but it's nowhere near like this. You have maybe 25 minutes for 20 record shots and maybe two siders. So it's like the it's like the chess of uh, long-range competitive shooting. So if you're the type of guy who wants to or gal who wants to focus and really concentrate on making the perfect shot and you care Not about whether or not you hit the target or miss the target, but how close to the center of the target did you hit? Yeah, that's sort of the F class thing. But you you guys don't even think about missing, really. I mean, you
0: shouldn't miss. Like that's definitely part of it, but like
2: yeah, as you as you sort of like progress throughout your your F class uh, career or whatever, you start to get disappointed by you know slight mistakes that put you just outside of the next scoring ring you know <laughs> but like we said before it's all relative so you know you're sort of ratcheting that that standard that you have for your own potential to be precise but then when you're on the weekend with your high school buddies plinking with your 22s it sort of translates and all of those things that you learned from that discipline kind of go towards the informal just mm-hmm. fun shooting yeah um, so it's a good a good Landscape to sort of hone those really fine wind reading skills and and uh, and that sort of thing, and then you can sort of take that and apply it to hunting or if you want to try a different um, competitive shooting sport. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you have you have a time constraint. It's all like you're pretty much in the same position every time you shoot. Yeah. Correct? So you're yep.
2: you're prone, and in fact, your rifle is supported in the front and the back. So there's really no air. I mean. By the time you you start becoming competitive, everyone is a really good trigger puller. Mm -hmm. And so that part of it you sort of take for granted. Breathing, pulse, fundamentals is all in the background. And then the game is just who can make consistently better decisions than everyone else. Mm -hmm. So decisions on when to shoot, when not to shoot, what tempo to shoot at if you've got a favorable condition. And then the biggest one is just what is the wind doing and the light at that specific time that I'm about to pull the trigger and then compensating for that. Mm-hmm.
0: And if I can ask this real quick too, before we go in a little bit further on that, but you guys are primarily shooting 308s. So there's and- two
2: big divisions within F Class, and there's something called F Open and FTR. Okay. And TR is Target Rifle. And for some reason, they said, you know what, we should just have a limited class so that it's a bit more like stock car racing. Everyone's on equal playing uh, ground, equal footing. So we'll make that 308s and 223s. Right. No one really shoots a 223. I They just didn't all think shoot so. 308s, <laughs> yeah. Sometimes they do well at, at 600 yards with the big, heavy 90 greeners, but everyone really shoots a 308. And then the open, which is anything 35 caliber and less. So the things that are dominating right now, 300 WISM, I know, I know 300 it. Some, uh, 7mm WISM, um, 284. Those are the, like the, the four big ones for the okay. open class. And that is you get a little bit extra weight that you can work with. You get to shoot off a front rest instead of a bipod. So I, I like the 308 uh, FTR division. It's just bipod, a little less weight to work with, a little bit more realistic rifle, practical rifle. In fact, my rifle um, probably weighs quite a bit less than than Nick's rifle. Oh, okay. Um, so... But yeah, it's, it's a kind of a marathon. I'll be shooting nationals in two weeks down at Camp Atterbury, Indiana. So it'll be real swampy, you know, uh, high humidity, um, lots of mirage, but you're shooting for four days and you're shooting about a hundred rounds a day. Mm. So you have to keep hydrated, keep your vision up. You know, it's, uh, it's not like, I don't Think of it as an athletic type thing, but it's more of like a mental, who can stay mentally sharp for that long, for that many shots.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's like a marathon, like, yeah. a, like a mental marathon. Mm-hmm. I mean, and like we were getting at before, too, it's it's not that there's, you know, when we were talking about uh, PRS, NRL shooting, there's so much happening. There's still a lot happening in F-Class, but it, a lot of it is up to, you know, the the brain, less physicality. Yep. They've taken out that aspect of it in order to completely focus on on just the accuracy element. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, the, the level of detail that I hear F-class shooters thinking in is, is baffling to me. I mean, the fact that, I mean, you have mentioned obviously there's the wind, but then you're thinking about light, you're mm-hmm. thinking about... I mean, so many people, how many people go to the range now and they they get to the range, they set their stuff down, they're like, yeah, the wind's moving right to left. And then for the rest of the range day, the next hour or two or three, they're like, they just expect a right to left wind. Yeah. Whereas you guys, I mean, you have 20, 25 minutes to shoot or so. You're waiting for gusts to happen and you're watching it. If you're on the far left side of the field, you're looking over at the far right side of the field to see if the grass is starting to blow over there because then you know it's eventually going to come over to you and all this. I mean, it's... Yeah, that's just that's just wind. And then you also have your I mean, your ballistics, your barrel tuning. I'm, I'm curious about all this. You're mentioning like cadence, if you have a fair, favorable wind, I'm sure cadence has something to do with barrel harmonics, how often you're shooting or something. So
2: we just we just invented a new format. And it was sort of experimental this year, but um, we did a point series, sort of like PRS or NRL, and we tracked everyone's performance throughout the country, just the U.S., um, and then invited the top 32 FTR and the top 32 open to this finale that we called the V Squared Finale. So it was Vortex and a partner-sponsor, Vitivori uh, Powders. Mm. So V-Squared Finale, and we set it up as an NCAA double elimination bracket. And so we had a camera facing downrange, so you could see the flags that the two competitors were um, looking at in the Mirage, and then a camera facing the two competitors right in the center. And basically it was like me and Jimmy facing off on the same target, alternating shots left and right, it's sort of like a chess match, you know, where like they make a move and you hit the timer and you make a move and you hit the timer. So yeah. it was like that. And it came down to the wire with sudden death shoot offs and like more than half of the cases. But it was so fun because usually you have that 25 minutes to use as you will. And you can just sort of sit on your thumbs and wait for hopefully the wind to die down and, and sort of make hay. then you couldn't do that with this format. You had 45 seconds after your partner had shot, your competitor had shot. Then it was your turn. So you had to make an honest wind call. And maybe the wind got stronger, but it didn't matter. You had to you had to make an honest wind call during that 45 seconds, or else you you got scored a miss. That's called full bore shooting. It's what a lot of the rest of the world does. And we wanted to promote the U.S. getting better at wind reading. So let's make an exciting format. That's a double elimination. Mono we mono, no alibis for hey you got a good target puller i got a bad one or you got to shoot in the easy wind i had to shoot in the hard wind shot at the same time same target Mm, and it was a it was a really big success i think it's going to take off and that's going to be and the cool thing is you can have a bunch of videos after the fact in the weeks later like inviting former champions to almost um commentate on the match and so for beginners they can watch those videos and say what is he watching how is he making this win read and you've got the John Madden, you know, pen on the target, and you can say, you know, okay, I think he's holding here. Let's see what happens. And oh, that's cool. Yeah, cause and effect sort of uh, training. I yeah. like
0: that. That's a that, that's some that uh, exciting. Adding a little bit of excitement. Yeah, yeah.
2: and so we're gonna uh, work on the software for next year, and hopefully it'll be real time plotting. So in Scandinavian countries over in Europe. This is a spectator sport. They have they have stands of fans that are rooting for competitors for their for their country. Gosh, life is so interesting over there. I know, <laughs> I know. So I want to cop that and 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 do that here, to where um, you can see real time. Like anywhere in the world, they would just log on to this site and they could watch. A competition happen in front of them with these e-targets mm-hmm. that's cool that's yeah. you
0: know that's the funny thing about international shooting competitions is that internationally they have probably just about everywhere you go you're gonna have far stricter gun laws than we have here in the united states but shooting sports are like giant spectator sports yeah. and everybody's into it super like stoked about it all the time like yeah everybody wants to do it so Maybe we just like do we get a little lazy here sometimes? Take it for granted. We're like, yeah, yeah, you shooting shoot anywhere, you know.
2: <laughs> People forget that before baseball and football existed in this country, organized competitive shooting was the number one sport for this country. I'm we thinking go back to that time. It was 1876. They had the first Creedmoor match, and it was on the Creed farm in upstate New York, and. Men and women donned their best clothes and they had sun parasols and they were watching with with telescopes and there was concessions and and uh, a band would play and like it was a big national
3: sport. You gotta get back back to that. Yep. <laughs> right. You're talking me into it now. Um, you, you had me at parasols. Actually <laughs> I, mean, I, I think that uh that format of F class actually is, appeals to me more. I like that you have that shorter window mm. and you have to make that a little bit more on the fly wind call more practical. rather than wait for your strategy. strategy. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Yep. I like that. In the in the one it almost seems like even though you're competing against
1: other people, like you're competing. Against yourself Oof, in a lot of ways, so. and this is like definitely like mono, e-mono. It's more almost like watching. Th- it'd be like watching um, like golf or even tennis in a yeah. way, you yeah. know. Yeah. yeah.
0: Now we're getting a bit more uh, a being that we've gone now to F class, and there's a few others that we're going to get into here as well. We're getting into ones that are a, a tad more niche, if you will. The previous ones we mentioned, like your uh, 22 precision stuff, your PRS NRL. I've seen people show up to those with what they have, right? You've got the 1022 Ruger. You've got—I've uh, seen plenty of people already. and I, I know I'll, I'll speak to it myself. Show up with a Ruger American and 65 Creedmoor to a PRS match. Cool, you can do it. Maybe even if you just toss a different stock on it, whatever. F class. Uh, what there's do you like think?
2: there's like a couple commercial offerings that are legitimately competitive. One, but you're
0: not really necessarily just going to show up with your hunting
2: rifle that's in like... No, yeah. and and it's more because you need time. You need time. You need rounds downrange. It's like uh, you ask a professional uh, basketball player, how did you know how hard to shoot that basket from that specific spot in the court? It's because they've probably shot from that specific spot thousands of times and everywhere else thousands of times, and they mm. programmed their computer, and they know exactly you know how to do it. It's more instinctive. F class is sort of like that, where um, you know you think that there should be some pocket calculator you can you can whip out and you know come up with the exact formula and to hit the center every time, but it's it's more experiential than that. Um, so the rifle might be competitive, but that's only half this equation. Okay, yeah.
1: Got Are you guys it. allowed to use like uh, wind meters, like Kestrels while you're shooting? No,
2: no electronic devices at all, okay. um, except hmm. for a timer. You can use a timer. So.
1: Oh, okay. Just to know, like. Yep. Yeah. Like my session has begun yep
0: okay and you're not do like you're not doing as much a- at a prs match you may shoot uh one stage might be okay i'm gonna shoot at 300 then i'm gonna go to 600 then i'm gonna go to 900 then i'm gonna go to 1100 in f class there's pretty much like one target right that you're just going to be shooting at and trying to hit as close to the
2: center as many times it. Yes, as for possible. for any one match. Now, um, the day might include an 800 yard match, a 900 yard match, and a thousand yard match. Okay, mm-hmm. but you're like adding, you know, four minutes of angle between yardages as you right. march back throughout the day. It's not like you're transitioning between different distances for mm-hmm. the same right. shooting session. So, but you've probably used an
0: electronic device prior to stepping up to the line and stuff, right, to figure out what at least you need to dial. Yeah. But the nice thing is that then you're not, like, going to shoot once, dial, shoot again, you know, dial again, and do all that. It's pretty – set that, and then it's just on you to make the shots. I have a question for you.
3: Is it safe to say – and excuse my ignorance, but do you basically have to hand load to shoot F-glass? I mean, does anybody not hand load? Um, There are a few people that um, I think are sponsored by –
2: burger that uh, burger has basically a line of ammunition that's ready to go compete with it uses all the same same constituents as the best hand-loaded ammunition and it's made there um, at their facility in mesa under the same types of conditions that you or i would hand load ammunition under okay and you pay for that level of precision but Sometimes, you know, if it's a rep from the company or um, one of their team shooters, they'll go ahead and enter a competition with that factory ammunition and they can win with it. Right. But that's the rare exception. Everyone else pretty much handloads. So are
3: they using like a barrel tuner a lot to make it proper for their rifle?
2: Yeah. And in fact, what I've done, even with some Vortex employees, is they'll want the best ammunition that they can buy without having to hand load. And I'll say, okay, go buy this, this burger ammunition this factory ammunition give me your rifle i'm gonna pull the bullet out a little bit and then i'm gonna go ahead and seat it to a very specific seating depth to tune it for your rifle and we'll we'll try you know we'll do a ladder test of five different seating depths and i'll get it to where it will shoot the best possible out of that person's rifle i'll seat them all to that depth and that's what they want to hunt with so, wow. do you use
3: a kinetic puller for that or do you use a... No,
2: I use a collet style.
3: I need to get one of those. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: It doesn't deform the bullet. Um, okay. I don't like the... It seems like a pretty violent thing and then yeah. the bullet comes flying out of there and maybe it twists the neck on the way out. Right, yeah. That's... A,
0: okay. Yeah. Cool. All things that people like Ian think about. Huh? Right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, what... Uh, all right. So, F are you, class. Are you Are you cheating off my notes here, Jim? I keep seeing the glance over. Well,
0: I'm glancing over because yeah, I want to make sure that I don't know. I know that we get a little (laughs) bit worked up. It's group homework. You get a little worked up when you have a list and we don't
1: go off your list I think honestly you like to make fun of my paper lists and when my printouts and That's then not true. you because sometimes don't care we've for gone. the fact that you're finding it quite <laughs> handy right? sometimes we've gone in a way
0: I can't even read it from over here you can I sometimes we've gone in a way that doesn't go along with your piece of paper and then you get upset so I'm just trying to incorrect avoid that. <laughs> um, is F class also is it? It's not the same as, but it's very similar to bench rest shooting, right? And is, bench rest is a type of competition, too. Yeah, right? so
2: bench rest, hence the name, is shot off a bench. So you yeah. got these guys sitting at usually a nice, heavy, concrete bench. But we should include it in the list because it is long range. So yeah. there's 600-yard, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and then there's 1,000-yard bench rest. And people have been doing it for a long, long time. Heavier rifles, uh, mechanically adjustable, uh, three-legged front rests, big rear bags. So it's kind of like... If you took an F open rifle and then brought it up to a bench and then changed the course of fire to be just shooting for a group or shooting for score, so trying to get that group centered on the target, but the target itself doesn't get pulled, marked, scored, and then put back up for successive shots, it's, you're shooting blind. So basically, they've got a sighter period and then a record period. So during the cider period, it's much like F class where someone will pull the target and they'll mark it, or if it's an electronic target, you can see where your impacts have landed. And then you sort of get empirical data about, okay, what's the win doing down there? If I want to go for a score record, each target is scored for group and score. So you can win on group but lose on score, win on score but lose on group, or win both. So it's two oh. different ways of measuring. But after the cider period is over... You cross your fingers that the wind hasn't changed, or you're really good at reading wind, and you can and you know how it's changed. And
1: the cider period, I mean, those are like they're just practice shots. There's practice shots. Yeah. Yep, yep. You mm-hmm. want to
2: get yourself centered up, and and sometimes people use the cider period to like test three different lots of ammo that oh <laughs> they're going to decide gosh. to shoot. <laughs> but then the guy says, "Okay, uh, your time will will start when your target appears, and you shoot either five or ten for group and score. So there's five shot or ten shot." The U.S. record was just set two weeks ago for 10 shot heavy gun. So they have two different classes, light gun and heavy gun, but um, with one of our Vortex uh, Golden Eagle uh, optics. So that was really neat. But the Sweet. guy shot a 10 shot group at 1,000 with, I believe, a 6BRA. So a 6BR Ackley mm-hmm. or approved, 40 degree shoulder. Put a little Heckley on it. Yep. <laughs> I think he shot, you know, the 105 grain ish vapor trail bullets, but. He shot it in roughly two inches. I can't remember the exact number. It was maybe a little less than two My inches goodness. for ten shots. So that's like bench rest is I would say. Someone's gonna correct me here, but I would say eighty percent one, uh, you know, at the gunsmith's shop and the loading bench, and then twenty percent. How well do you handle the rifle? How well can you get your shots off quickly? So when you see a a bench match, when they say you can go for record, sometimes they'll be watching this infield full of flags, and the flags look semi-ridiculous. They're like little windmills and colorful things fluttering here and there, and you're like watching this field of flags. And when they get the wind condition that they want, boom, 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 five, and they're done. Oh, wow. Yeah, and some guys aren't even looking through the optic. I mean, they use it to get sighted in and everything, but their rifle repeats so well, returns to battery so well, and they've got a little positive stop at the front of the forend, so they just slide it forward. We're talking heavy guns that don't recoil very much, but they'll just slide it back and forth and pull the trigger, and they're not touching what? anything else on the rifle. They're not shouldering it. They're not gripping it. They're not holding the forend. They're just basically sitting at this bench. I don't mean to minimize it, but it's, it's part of the evolution of Benchrest has become this free recoil style where they return it to battery and then just lightly touch a one ounce trigger. And it all comes down to who can open their bolt, put a new round in, close their bolt and touch that trigger again quicker than anyone else, smoother than anyone else. So they get those five record rounds down in three seconds something like that oh yeah i mean like
1: crazy in a way you're like oh i don't want to but like the amount of like work and effort and tweaking and precision and i mean to be able to get to that point where you could even do that that's insane
2: so it's like a competition in the true sense of the word but it's a competition of different things than what Mm -hmm. we're talking about my gosh! Yeah,
0: and you know some you you know that somebody out there just when they hear about that they're just like oh my gosh I want to figure out how to do that better and beat everybody else at it like that's just yeah just how some people tick but that's all like that's crazy I actually had no idea
2: that that's how it worked yeah wow I assumed looking through would be a, <laughs> a key You'd component think, perhaps so there's two two different styles I described something that's called running. So that's shooting really fast and hoping that you get them down before something changes. Mm -hmm. The other is called picking. And that's sort of closer to F class where they're literally reading the conditions and deciding exactly when they want to shoot each shot. And it takes them longer to get all all the shots down, obviously. I think there are very, very few people that are good at that. Mm. So most people do the running.
1: Okay, Okay. gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, there's just so many things at play there. Yeah, yeah.
0: Now, a 1,000 yards, like you described a couple times, pretty far, maybe depending on what you're shooting, it could be extremely far or long range. There's my segue (laughs) into ELR. That was great, Jim. (laughs) So smooth. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, Like butter. ELR is a, a form of competition that I've heard more and more about. It used to be just sort of like a weird thing that some strange people who had a lot of land talked about doing. But now it's, at least in my head, but now it's, I hear, it's something I hear a lot more about. Nobody agrees on what, ELR, it's extreme long range, right? Nobody agrees on what extreme is. In fact, people are nervous to even say. You're like, oh, well, what does it mean to you? And they are like, I don't really know. I mean, you know, like somebody might. But, I mean, there's, why is that? Is because it just varies so much depending on where you are and what It's what because everybody, not everybody, or,
1: Jim, but people, you say, if you say, well, no, this is ELR. Somebody goes, that's not ELR. Right.
0: Then this you feel is like ELR. A, then you feel like a complete dweeb. And you're then like, the oh, next oh, wow. guy
3: goes, wait a minute, no, that's not ELR. This is ELR. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think it has to be, It's. I mean, it's definitely cartridge dependent, too. I mean, ELR yeah. with my twenty two is a lot different that's than sl- I mean, ELR with a three seven five chi You know I mean? yeah. So that's a, that's a big factor. And there actually is ELR 22 competitions. I mean, me and Mike Tussler are going to be going to the king of .28 miles here in, I think it's <laughs> August. Um, that's and awesome. So and that, that so that starts off as kind of like more of a PRS-type shooting. Okay. And then day two goes into an ELR match where we're actually going for the the ELR record for a 22. Sweet. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So um, you are
1: going for the record.
3: Like, yeah, I mean, anybody trained. there is going for the record. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. But like Applied Ballistics is going to be there to do... Uh, People's PDMs for the twenty twos. I mean
1: PDM would be a
3: uh, a personalized drag model. Yes. It's
0: really getting into it. I mean, full on, full send. But okay, so let's say you're talking about I mean, a lot of people they're thinking ELR, they're thinking big guns, right? Mm-hmm. They're thinking shy tax, they're thinking, you know, for four, who knows what? Giant uh giant guns, thinking big rounds, big projectiles flying through the air probably shooting okay i'm just going to throw something out there so somebody's going to you know you're shooting probably more than a mile you know oh yeah like let's say that i mean 2000 3000 yards something in, in in that territory just so far away well the then like of- that king of
1: 0.28 spawned off of the king of
3: two miles. Two mile, miles. Right? Yeah, two Which miles. I think the closest target at that is fifteen hundred. Is that right? When
2: I did it, uh the starter target was is either fifteen or sixteen. Yeah. Yeah, that's where you started. And then the <laughs> second the target starter. is
3: two thousand, wasn't it? Yeah.
0: Yep. Yeah. This is all like really exciting because if anybody's ever thinking, you know, I want to shoot long ranch, or are thinking like, you know, oh it'd be awesome to shoot at a mile or two miles or something like that. What is um how do these competitions even actually work though? How are you how are you scored? If you got into this, what would the competition actually even look like? Am I? Are you just trying to hit a big giant piece of steel somewhere, or are you trying so, to score it, or what?
3: I think Ian needs to speak to that because he's actually shot King of Two Miles. But I will say that there are definitely two different types of ELR competition. Like, I mean, there's there's that which yeah. is very long range. Um, but then there's also like ELR matches where. You know, people take what is essentially their PRS rifle or just you know a long action, and you know be shooting maybe three thousand yards, and that's their absolute tops. Hmm. So uh, I just point that out because there are there are a couple of different ELR disciplines as well, obviously. So, of but, course, uh, I think as a discipline, it's probably the newest
2: and less, least structured. So one match is going to differ quite a bit. Um, from another one, and there's some some movements to try and standardize in terms of okay well let's let's all vote on a target size that we can agree to, and that way results from this event can be have meaningful comparisons to results mm-hmm. from that event, oh yeah, and that's you know there's been some headway there and and people are starting to and starting to kind of get on the same page there, but there's still the just it's fun to see what you can do, so there's this fringe that's like exposition shooting almost let's get some people with some free time and some expendable income to take a bunch of shots at a really long distance film it and uh through the magic of editing we'll 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 show some impressive shots and they are impressive but it begs the question well how much skill how much luck how many shots did you take that sort of thing yeah yeah right so there's there's a community of of competitors that that want to make it in their eyes, more fun because it's more structured and because, you know, there are yeah. sort of rules and, and, and limits to it.
0: Yeah, when you watch it on YouTube, a lot of times you'll see some, and it's like, oh, look at this shot at like 3,500 3, yards or something, and all you see is the impact shot, mm-hmm. and everybody thinks like, man, it'd be so cool to be good enough where I could just like throw a rifle <laughs> on the ground and hit a target 3,500 yards away or something. But... Like you said there's usually a lot more story there. Somebody shot a lot. Somebody.
2: What they don't show you is probably a team of ten people all on radios that are like yeah. spot shotting and and relaying results back and yeah, it, it's, yeah. It, it's 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 an enterprise. Not only do you need the distance, but to do it safely, you know, you need a lot of forethought and and mm-hmm. and safety measures. Yeah,
0: I mean, where do they even have these ranges? Where where do you go to one of these matches?
2: There's not a whole lot of places. When I did it, it was held at the Whittington Center Mm -hmm. in New Mexico, just uh, south of Raton there. Okay. And uh, it's a giant, I don't know, 400-acre complex or no, more than that, like four four square miles. But anyway, they have this little mountain range that serves as a backstop. So, once again, it takes a lot of time, but they spend two weeks hoofing it up there and lowering these steel plates by cables Onto these rock faces, so that when you miss, you get some sort of fiducial indicator of how far and where you missed. Oh,
0: okay. Um,
2: so there might be six to ten targets scattered across this mountain range, and usually they're you know steel, square, painted white. But the thing I think the thing that I I thought was maybe least fair about the whole deal was. You have a squatting time, you know, and it could be quite different from like the morning to the afternoon and the way they have it set up, there's, there's cameras on all these targets and, um, one person shoots at a time. So it takes a long time to get through a fairly small number of competitors Mm -hmm. for an event. Uh, Uh, I think what would be cool is if they had opened it up to more people. So it's not just the same 30 guys showing up to all these events across the country, open it up to more people and then say, well, um, let's have them all on the line at the same time. Cause we have these, you know, we were shooting off the thousand yard firing line at, at the Whittington center. We were just shooting past the butts up into the mountain. Why not line up a hundred guys or 50 guys or, or something? And this have them shoot round Robin, you know, shooter one shoots his shot and you still only have the same number of targets, the same number of cameras.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But I think that would be a little bit more, more of a competition, hmm. a
3: true competition. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I do think that, that, uh, that, particular genre of shooting needs a little bit more structure uh, because it is i I think that's kind of almost i don't want to say that's the direction that a lot of long-range shooting is going but it just inherently i mean we're a fairly competitive bunch we always want to push that boundary more and more and more and um and and just being able to have it in a in a way that we could replicate like okay yeah I, i mean if you had a set target size that you had to hit. Yeah. Um and you can actually compare those results to somebody yeah. out east versus out west, you know, that type of thing. So yeah, I, I think that I'm actually in the process of, of finishing up my first ELR rifle. I'm doing a three hundred Norma. And um basically I'm building that rifle in I, I wanted to be my like twenty five hundred yard rifle. Mm-hmm. You know, anything inside yeah. of there be pretty dead meat. Yep. I'm definitely haven't gone, you know, full shy tech or, you know, uh, but I would like to see a type of shooting that spawns off of that. That is a lot more structured. Yeah. Yeah. I think
2: the community is getting there. You know, these are all smart men and women who, who know what a fair competition looks like. So they're, they're evolving. Mm -hmm. Like when I did it, my, my little, little 338 AI was competing against the 416s and the, and the Barrett's and everything. Well, now they have two classes. Right. now it's like mm-hmm. okay 338 and below three and then above so they're well, they're getting there. it's
0: tough because you always have to have you always have to have a place for people to push the boundaries mm-hmm. and ELR, I feel like in a lot of ways has tried to be a catch-all mm-hmm. they're trying to make it a competition which is difficult to have a competition unless you have some sort of consistency across the board for different competitions that occur but If you then try and have some sort of consistency, like, say, a distance, which I know is probably partly the reason why everyone's so nervous to say what they think ELR is, because, you know, it's like depending on where you show up, it could be different. But you have to have some consistency probably in distances and target sizes and all that stuff. But then once you add in consistency, it doesn't allow somebody to then just go crazy and really push it and do something more extreme. You know, like if the distance all of a sudden they were like, yeah, it's capped at, Three thousand yards is going to be like these targets, these targets, these targets. The size—that's what an ELR matches. Well, then if somebody builds a gun that can shoot out to four thousand yards. They're like, well, where do I play now? Yep, right. Yep. And so then that, then all of a sudden, or well, is there like an EELR? And and then <laughs> it just gets crazier right. and crazier. But what optics are people using in ELR? I mean, thus far we've talked about about sports in precision long range shooting that you can generally use. Uh, and once we got to F class there's some specific stuff like the golden eagle is certainly a, a F class and benchrest specific rifle scope but otherwise the other stuff you could use a lot of regular optics and ELR I see people with Razor Gen 2s and stuff like that on their guns but I'm thinking to myself like how are you managing the amount of travel that you have to have inside the scope. Yeah. I mean, at some point, you just can't have enough travel or, or something. Like, you're. Yeah, I mean, are there canted rails that are like 400 MOA canted rails or something? Or
3: yeah, yeah, there there are some rails that. I mean, I I, I haven't I haven't been to one of these matches, but I've seen them on TV enough that you know I've people have to their, their head basically this high above the stock to look down into their scope. Oh my gosh. Um, there's also rails, of course, rails and mounts that are adjustable. Yeah. Uh, which is, I think. Like I don't know if you follow Jim C on but Facebook, but he just did like thirty three hundred yards of the three oh eight. But he had Jeez. an adjustable rail on there because it would be literally impossible. But you, you essentially have to have a scope. And by
1: adjustable rail, it's actually physically taking the it's scope. Actually adding cant to it. Yeah. Without okay, without the scope needing to do any of that internally.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: So the way I looked at it when I was picking out an optic was all right, what's what's the optic that has the most internal range of adjustment? And I'm lucky enough, you know, I had access to a gen two. But I chose the Gen 1 because it had a little bit more internal elevation. Mm -hmm. And you don't need tons of magnification. We're talking about, you know, three foot by three foot steel out there. So Gen 1, and then it was, okay, what adjustable bases are out on the market? None of them, like when you unlocked, adjust, and then relocked, you'd have unintentional lateral shift, and I didn't want to have to deal with that. Unless it was like a one-time adjustment to try and max out and then lock it and forget about it. So I ended up machining my own uh, rail that was, like, a minute and a half. Naturally. This was, is another thing you um, should... I'm sorry. Uh, a, Yeah, it was, it was a degree and a half, so degree 90 d- minutes. Yeah. This is another thing you should know
0: if you're getting into, like, ELR and F-Class and all that stuff. I find, even PRS, too. The dudes who, like, do the best and really get into it and wind up also, like, being super competitive, they probably also know how to machine stuff. Yeah. They probably also know how to like make stuff. Use SolidWorks
1: and they're
3: oh, yeah. the tinkerers.
1: They, yeah, they tinker.
2: Half, Half anyway. of them are
3: barreling their own rifles.
2: Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean exactly. Yeah. Take um, those car-
1: skills, and then you also need a, a mountain range as a backstop. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Right. Right. Buy a mountain range. A so cou- anyway, a
2: couple other tricks. If you specifically get a second focal plane, it sounds weird, but if you have holds in your reticle on a second focal plane, you can multiply the magnitude of those holds downrange by turning your power down so you don't need a lot of power to make these shots if you have a second focal plane that's optimized for 24 you turn it down to 12 now that 15 minutes that you might have had below center is 30 minutes so you can go ahead and hold 30 minutes low so that's another trick and then finally as people kept pushing they're like okay we need something else Uh, what else do you got and they started using periscopes believe it or not <laughs> yeah so it's a prism that will bend the real image downrange and give you a fixed b- boost of 200 minutes you know sometimes. oh yeah
0: i mean the i remember seeing that one time on a gun and dude, wacky looking yeah but you could essentially flip something and you'd be looking at your normal image then all of a sudden you flip it and you've literally it, by one flip you've dialed
2: yeah, like yeah. 200 MOA or 300 MOA or something. And you left the ability to have a 100-yard zero way back there. Oh, uh, yeah. Like, when, you, when you, you might have a 1,000-yard zero. That's what I chose. Okay. Okay.
0: Yeah. How can you even – what's – what's? <laughs> how do you know if you're zeroed at 1,000? I mean, you, maybe, you probably have some little, like, you know, quarter-sized group at a 1,000 yards, but – I mean, is that what everybody's doing? How do they know that there is z- that there is zero? Just take an average of your group. Or yeah, something? you
2: wait for like a windless day, and then you are like, okay, spin drift is this. All right, I am zero. So you just wait for the right condition to get your
3: zero. Wow. Go out there when the sunlight's not very present, or like early in the morning, not enough what, mirage. <laughs> like, what what did right. your
1: group look like with a, th- a thousand yard zero? Like what like what was were you like ten inch? group 12 inch group this one inch this group. one
2: was about five for five shots yeah, we're talking
1: about Ian here
2: well no right. not necessarily the the rifle the guy who built uh, a friend of mine built the rifle and it happens to be weirdly accurate um or precise I should say that that specific rifle but um so that helps obviously downrange when you're shooting at 3,000 you know that's gonna that's gonna help what's weird is you can get really low SDs with these big cartridges too because on a percentage basis If you, let's say you can throw a powder charge to plus or minus a couple kernels, um, that makes almost no difference with a giant case versus a lot of difference with a small case. So you get really, really small SDs, so that really helps for ELR as well.
3: Nice.
2: But finally, so you've got this periscope, and now you might be looking right at the top of your barrel because literally your gun's pointed like this and your scope's like... Yeah, intersecting your line of sight is intersecting your barrel. So now what you see guys do is they add a second periscope to bend around the side of the barrel <laughs> <laughs> so that they can look around their barrel and 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 see what they need to see. It's nuts. Wow, it's a wild west. Unbelievable. Yeah. It, that's a, yeah, it's the wild west of long-range shooting, um, still sort of like cutting its teeth, finding where it's going to settle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're
0: always, it has to exist. Like There's things in life that just have to exist. It wouldn't be fun and otherwise. It, right. It, I mean... Somebody's always going to ask the question, can you do more? Can you do more? I mean, once they figure out ELR, there's going to be, I guarantee it, there's going to be EELR. And then all of a sudden, there's going to be people trying to find areas in the world where they can shoot over the horizon and hit a target. They've got, you know, what I don't know. It's probably going to happen. Well, They'll that, have to go out to the ocean. Right. There's a match for you. Yeah. You
2: get targets. <laughs> Out in the ocean, there's tons of space. Yeah. Why stay inside of the atmosphere? Like the <laughs> the moon is already painted white. Pretty yeah. much. That's a, that's yeah. That's a great point. <laughs> no primer necessary. <laughs> nope. That's a great. I tell you what though, with maybe Elon's, that's what all those Elon are satellites
0: from. up there though. You're gonna be you're not only gonna be waiting for the right wind gust, but you're gonna be waiting for the right chain of satellites to not yeah. be in
1: the way of, between you and the moon. Those those craters on the moon are actually just some other species. <laughs> Elr. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, that, uh, that plant's looking pretty
0: shot up. We might want to stop. <laughs> All right, we've we've kind of covered some of the, uh, I feel like some of the main ones that are in people's heads, maybe that they've they've thought of or they've seen or that kind of fit into what you might think. If you're like, well, I want to take this a little bit further. What are, mark on your on your list? What are some of the other ones that I feel like are probably a bit
1: more well unique? As we're checking things off here, so we've talked about a lot of different disciplines here, and maybe some of them actually. We already talked about that fall within that, quote, NRA high power. But it sounds like when we were chatting previously, that's kind of like an all-encompassing thing, and there's subsets within that. Yeah, um, so high power,
2: you could also, like, let's say you wanted to focus on aperture sights. You could shoot sling rifles or Palma rifles, and that isn't supported by a bipod and a rear bag. You have other aids. You have a shooting jacket. You have a shooting glove. You have a pretty high-tech sling. You have a lens, believe it or not, that you can choose to either put in your rear aperture sight, your front globe sight, or you can actually attach it to, like, your head, like shooting glasses. So that magnifies your sight picture, but essentially you're shooting an aperture or iron sights at a target. Their target is roughly four times uh, on an area standard the size of the F-class target because it's it's harder. You know, you're supporting that rifle. You have more wobble. So there's sling. There's service rifle, so you shoot what looks like a, an M16, um, mm-hmm. and as of three years ago, they added optics to replicate the fact that you have a four-power battle optic now, at least in this country. So you should be able to use a four-power optic for, for service rifle competition. So, For lack of a better term, that kind of seems like a moving target.
1: Mm-hmm. You know what constitutes a service rifle like you said they uh, Oh, a lot of guys are moving to optics We got optics now, but even those optics You know you got one to tens now and yeah. things like that. yeah Yeah,
2: so. yeah, and and per the NRA rules you can't use a one to ten set at four like literally it can't be able to go past four Right, um, mm-hmm. so people use our like a one to four gen one PST is a pretty common optic to use mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah and then there's you know like um small bore you do you can do uh iron sight 22 at uh, 100 yards as well and i consider that long range and so that's all within sort of the the small bore and high power nra traditional style prone shooting one that's similar to small bore isn't on there it's actually air guns at 100 yards right now are becoming real popular mm-hmm. um, they started out being real popular overseas. Um, some heavy gun legislation type countries, um, but now they've come here. Oh, well, Mark and had to prove that he did. Oh, did, did you have it on? Yeah, the he, list. Had, oh, he He had, had to, to make, make sure he knew. No, you did your homework. <laughs> no, yeah, in case
0: you didn't notice, when he very, uh, very openly circled <laughs> your gun in your direction. Well
2: done. Yeah, so these are uh, pre-compressed uh, tanks um, in twenty-five caliber, thirty caliber, twenty-two caliber, shooting like little bullet-shaped. I mean, they're not the pellets that we grew up with anymore. Right. right. But yeah it's it's pretty popular now and and they do field field versions where they're you know kind of in a field setting prone and and things and then they do uh sort of a bench rest version off a bench.
1: It definitely seems like if you're into long range shooting whatever like firearm or air gun or configuration that you prefer, there's a segment of folks that will compete
3: oh, <laughs> yeah be, there's something know. for everybody
1: if
0: it if it exists. Somebody's probably made a competition around it. Like I, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if there's survival rifle competitions. You know,
3: or well, kind of are. Well, in, maybe in <laughs> that'll that'll get in my next one because I don't yeah. think
1: we did hit on those, Nick. And it sounds like that's something that you're kind of getting into as of yeah. late. Are those quotation mark sniper competitions? Yep. Which sound like they kind of bridge PRS with adventure racing ish.
3: Yeah, yeah. Um, that's a good way to describe it. Uh, there's 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 a few of them in the U.S. Um, Vortex will be having their own series of them next year, which is pretty exciting. in The 2022 season. Um, there's so the Vortex Team Sniper Challenge. There's Mammoth Sniper Challenge, which we are the co-title sponsor with Grunt Style, and then there are some competition dynamics ones. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a few others, but uh, those are those are some of the bigger ones. And uh, what you're doing is you're taking a precision rifle. And in the hardest divisions and all of those you're also rucking. So just to break down, like for the Vortex team sniper challenge, you have you have all your gear in um the Lerp division. So that's the um, oh, I can't remember what it's the for. LARP? The LARP. 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 Yeah.
1: Oh, so we're dressing up as well. <laughs> yeah. I like this. So Lightning bolt. Getting... Lightning yeah.
3: bolt. <laughs> 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 so in this division. What cartridge you are you running? Lightning bolt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Zeus. Has painted down my rifle. So what you're doing is uh, everything that you're going to be using for that weekend, which is a three-day-long match, you have on you. So your ammunition, your rifle, all your clothing, all your food, your tent, your sleeping bag, whatever you're going to have, except for with the the exception of water, they will provide you water because if you can have 60 pounds of water by itself probably for the weekend. Mm -hmm. But everything besides water you have to have with you. So over the course of four or three days you're rucking you'll probably put on about 40 miles total i think that's what some of the guys said last year they put on about 40 um you're rucking from stage to stage so um not as many stages throughout the weekend you do i think um five stages a day and uh, in between each of those stages you'll have a ruck that is somewhere between a half a mile and five miles and so they're a lot more i would say problem solving uh oriented they have um you have to shoot pistol as well, so and they're usually cool. team events. So there's the okay. Vortex Team Sniper Challenge team event.
0: When you shoot pistol, is it because something jumps out at you in the woods while you're hiking? or? Uh,
3: they, well, they? so they try to make them pretty interesting. Um, usually you'll start off a stage, if it's got pistol, usually you have some close-range targets that you and your partner both have to clear, you get rid of the targets by you know, engaging them, hitting them twice. And then you move on to rifle, you got to locate the targets in the field, arrange them, gather your dope, communicate where the targets are, and engage those targets, too. Mm -hmm. Oh, you have a partner, too, so, like, Mm -hmm. the whole time? Yeah. Is it generally two-man teams? Usually two-man teams. Okay. Yeah. Um, And for at least, like, the Vortex Team Sniper Challenge, we like to use some, uh, like, historical engagements. So this year we did one um, from the Battle of Stalingrad uh, with Vasily Zaitsev and Major Koenig. So as you're essentially Vasily in this particular situation where um, you go get up to your stage, they brief you, okay, there is a sniper downrange, we do not know where he is, um, and you got to survey the field to find the sniper's hide, you engage the target in the hide, and then you engage a couple other targets in the field. Uh, so at that one, it was really cool. We had a, um, a former sniper actually build the hide, and then he put a humanoid silhouette target inside of it, and then they also put a flasher inside there. So periodically there'd be a flash from inside this hide to, uh-huh. to represent muzzle flash. So, yeah, we, lots of stuff like that. I think uh, last year uh, they did a car rollover simulator. So you and your partner are both buckled in seatbelts, and then they, they literally roll the car. And then while you're upside down, you draw your pistols, you engage your targets upside down, and then, you know, ditch your pistol in the proper safety bucket, and then you climb out of the vehicle, and then you and go engage your rifle stuff.
0: Did you get, like, World Strongman out there to roll the car, or did they just have, like, a forklift? No,
3: it's actually, like, uh, what they use for training... Um, for police and uh, law enforcement, and military oh. is
2: it is it on like a like a gimbal so it can yeah oh, okay I thought so you were rolling it down a hill no it's not a literal I know, I car like, no <laughs> like, okay, it's a, you guys ready in there <laughs> it's a rollover simulator okay, but yeah you're okay. in seats
3: you're you're strapped in and then they roll yeah <laughs> <laughs> some guy just rolling a car down the hill good luck buddy bring it back yeah. up yeah yep, <laughs> all right now push yeah. it back up uh, boy they're shoot. really
1: uh, <laughs> they're really going
3: <laughs> yeah. That hey, hill's a lot bigger than we <laughs> thought. Oops. Uh, oh. Next
0: year we're going to have to find a smaller hill. Yeah. Um,
3: so wow. that, they're, they're interesting. It's um, uh, They usually
0: happen on military bases, right?
3: Oh, not always. Not uh always. Like, So Mammoth, uh, that's on Fort Gordon. That's okay. been there for the last three years now. I think it'll be there this year as well. Yeah. Vortex Team Sniper Challenge, uh, last year it was at uh, Cones Creek, and then I believe we're going to do either four or five matches next year total. So one at Coleman Creek and then and then uh, we'll have a finale at the end.
1: What about so you're talking about problem solving is that happening just with the, um, the stage if you will or are there things that you're doing before you get there are you doing like land nav type things where you have to learn kind of those skills outside of shooting.
3: Uh, the land nav thing isn't necessarily a big one because usually you're rucking with a big group and then they have like the trails marked out. But something that you do have to consider is that you do have a par time for the, the distance. And um, so like Mammoth is a 16 minute mile pace. Okay. So if okay. you do not arrive at your destination within a 16 minute mile pace, then you're done shooting hmm. out Oh, of interesting. Wow.
1: So, what, so it's not like, okay, let's say Jim and I are a team. You guys are a team. Is it like a is it a pass fail or if like we go faster we get extra points? It's
3: a pass fail. Sometimes what they'll do is they'll if you finish the rock first, then you get to pick where you are in the shooting order. But that's really the only perk you get. Okay. Some guys will literally finish last. In fact, I think uh, uh, Jim C and Isaiah Curtis were intentionally gaming that one a little bit at Manith last year, as they were intentionally finishing last because then they would have to shoot first because nobody wanted to shoot first. Well, they were like, well, I get up there and I got a clean target because they're going oh. and repainting all the targets at Mammoth. Uh, at Vortex, we don't paint the targets. Um, they're hard, are hard to find for a reason. So we, they, they leave them, uh, either paint them gray Yeesh. or they just leave them steel. Hmm. How about that? That is tricky. Yeah. Hmm. So it makes them a little bit more difficult. Um, we also don't do a 16-minute mile, so it's a little bit, uh, the pace has opened up to an 18-minute mile, but... Um, They actually had to extend one of the rucks last year because the terrain is so bad that it was impossible to get an 18-minute mile even. Oh, Oh,
0: got it. Okay. Cool. Interesting. Uh, Yeah, that sounds pretty extreme in all kinds of different levels. Yeah,
3: so if somebody likes um, backpack hunting, for instance, uh, I got a couple of friends that do pretty extreme backpack hunts that are going to be coming out and doing those matches this year because of the fact that... I mean, it's right up their alley. They have a, a usually a lighter weight rifle. Some guys are a little bit ballsy, and they carry their full you know, 22-pound PRS rig with them, oh, wow. which I, I think is insane. That's
1: uh, I, That was going to be my next question, because you're always telling me to add more weight, add more weight. <laughs> and I was going to ask you what your rifle's looking like for these sorts yeah. of things.
3: So my rifle uh, weighs in um, at 14 pounds, 2 ounces. That's incredibly light for you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's carbon fiber. That's barrel. Nick really trying. Yeah, that, that was me really trying. But... I don't let you borrow my gun. <laughs> <laughs> well, your gun and my gun probably your gun probably weighs just a touch more than mine. Yeah,
0: everybody likes hiking five miles and then getting punched in the shoulder
3: repeatedly. I was
1: talking about the PRS gun.
0: Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, my bad. I thought you were talking about the old
3: three hundred. No. So I'll be shooting a six arc though. Um, oh, newer Hornady cartridge. Um, it's a really small case, six millimeter bullet.
1: Lighter ammo. Um,
3: the ammo's lighter. The recoil is lighter. So the I don't need a heavier weight gun. I should still be able to watch my splash. Yeah, it's kind of it's a purpose built rifle. For now I'm game.
0: surprised that in a sniper comp they don't make you shoot 308.
3: A lot of guys will shoot 308, and so actually in if if for being a team match, one guy has to be either 223 or 308. Oh. The other guy can have whatever he wants. Got it. So I got, uh, so I got a Bighorn TL3 action, and then I ordered two barrels from Proof: one in six arc and one in two two three. So depending on who I partner with, my partner says, "Well, I want to be open to division. I got this three hundred norm. I want to shoot. Okay, well, I'm going to take the two two three. Then I'll just unscrew that barrel, screw the other barrel on. Okay, and, and vice versa. Okay, nice. so two
2: teammates can't share uh, each other's rifles. They have to. You have to shoot the one you're carrying. I don't think necessarily. Okay.
3: So you could theoretically like share each other's guns. Yeah. Okay.
2: So you could both shoot the same rifle for the whole competition. One guy could just carry a, a one-pound plastic gun, save himself some weight. I suppose probably. No, I'm gaming. Uh, you can I was game, say, But demons. you would.
3: But you, most of the time, you shoot at the same time. Oh. So gotcha. you would never oh, be able to get enough hits. Yeah. That'd be a problem.
1: I would think it could be an advantage to shoot like let's say. If some somebody has to be a three oh eight, then just both guys shoot a three oh eight because then you could use each other's wind calls and mm. stuff like that.
3: Yeah, that's that's actually a strategy. So some of the guys down in product development are going to be shooting them next year, and uh, I think all of them are shooting three oh eight for that reason. So okay. they're all shooting the same ammunition, basically the same rifle. Um, so they all qualify for secondary shooter. Yeah, I mean it's just going to simplify things across yeah. the board.
1: Yeah, it does make it a little easier. What about very interesting? I, I've just, all these questions, Jim. Now I'm really going down the list. We're talk, oh, Are you we're, moving on to another one? Well, wait. Were you not? I don't have another one. Well, now. then I'm going to move on.
2: Are there more? <laughs> all right. Well, are there? I, more? I've got.
1: I've got a couple more. And and again, this kind of goes back let's, to if there's some. If you're into it, we're at it, almost an hour and a half. Let's know, quick list This them. is really good. L- long range single shot pistol.
2: Oh, that oh, is that is a, to talk that's that. an outlier. Um, I think it started out sort of in that varmint hunting, like, well, if we can do this with a rifle, maybe we can do it with a, (laughs) with a pistol. (laughs) Um, but then of course what's, it gets a little bit blurry. What's the difference between a rifle and a pistol? Because a lot of these specialty pistols, they are built off of bolt action. Quite rifle-like. Right? They've got a barrel. I think the shortest one I've ever seen is maybe 10 inches. I've seen some of them are, you know, 22 inches, but there's mid grip. Sort of like the old XP 100s. It's got a transfer bar to the action that's back here. Uh, there's rear grip, um, so it's basically it looks like a little rifle, but you've cut the buttstock off right at the pistol grip. Usually shot off of a bipod. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes they even have like a, a like a palm swell at the bottom that rests nicely on like a sandbag. Okay. Um, so it's very supported and. People started to say, well, these things are surprisingly accurate. In fact, hey, my pistol shoots better than my buddy's rifle. This is pretty neat. Well, maybe we'll have a competition surrounding that. I think it spawned out of the western states, Wyoming, Montana, that area. And I think they still hold competitions. They're they're like handgun, single shot, pistol association, something like that. Mm -hmm. And they hold competitions, usually shooting like uh, steel silhouettes, so Mm -hmm. silhouettes of groundhogs and and Mm -hmm. things like that but very neat. I've got a couple of them from um a related discipline that was called uh international handgun metallic silhouette. And that was real popular in the 70s. And if you've ever seen a vintage photo of uh a guy laying down but recumbent, not head first. He's laying down with his head back here and he's got his foot stretched out and he's got his pistol like rested on his boot. That's yes, like I have the, actually have seen you? that. Yeah. That's called the uh, some sort of weird uh create more position or something like that and their iron sights single shot bolt action pistols and um shooting at silhouettes um that was real popular back in the mid 70s to early 80s um but i just i got them as sort of a well this would be a neat backpacking rifle so to speak you know sure 308 one of them's in 7mm 08 paul nice might like that for his backpack hunts but uh but yeah, it could be super compact and suppressed if you wanted it to be, and um, so kind of a kind of an oddity. But it's it's like answering the question, well, how accurate can a handgun be? Mm-hmm. And that's where they ended up.
0: Well, if you just make it like a rifle, then yep,
2: <laughs> <laughs> Yep. definitely yep. unique. We, see definitely how we can get with a pistol, but that's
0: really hard. So why don't we start incorporating a lot of rifle stuff yep. into it?
3: It is probably pretty important to, to clarify too that these are like the bolt actions; they are pistol mm-hmm. actions. So like don't take your Remington 700 and cut the stock off. <laughs> right, yeah, once it's a <laughs> yeah. rifle, it can't become a pistol. Exactly, else, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Very easily good, anyway. Very
2: good distinction there, yes. uh, Nick. Thank yeah. you for
1: that. Good call. Okay, we're talking a little bit about, like, international competitions. Like, are there PRS matches internationally? Is that is that a U.S. thing? Or, like, are there, if a person was so inclined to want to choose a discipline, are there ones that you could kind of select from that are more, I guess, worldwide versus regional? Like if you're like, I want to do competition shooting and
0: I want to potentially also go internationally to do it too?
3: Yeah, there's quite a few. So PRS um, or that shooting discipline in general is exists in many countries. We have some guys down in South Africa that do and then there's in the uk in ireland in uh, australia it's pretty big so yeah that's that's definitely mm-hmm. um international um I is think. it the
0: same style or they also call it prs
3: um so it depends on so some like there's prs so australia then there's nrl south africa okay. like so it's it's all okay. the same style um what they call it might be different yeah but as far as Bigger ones, I think it's probably more popular in the F-Class areas and stuff, right?
2: Yeah. Trust has a world championship, I believe. That might be every four years. Uh, F-Class has a world championship. Uh, Training for that right now as part of the U.S. team will be in South Africa in 2023, Bloemfontein, South Africa. It got pushed back two years uh, from COVID. The last world championship was 2017 in uh, Connaught. uh, Canada, so kind of goes to a different host country every four years, mm-hmm. and then there's a selection process with every team's uh, national team that that gets down selected, um, and then they travel, and it's it's pretty it's pretty fun. Nice, that's awesome.
1: Well, Mark, we've exhausted the list. Jen. We've exhausted and, and our and the list. listeners.
0: We've exhausted. Yes, uh, if we missed any, though, uh, we'd love for people to comment about that. Uh, the other thing is, Mark, I feel like we should reveal that uh, we are going to do one of these. For the first time ever and we picked we picked the one that's probably arguably the most popular uh i'd say in the united states currently or at least it it, it seems to have the biggest groundswell uh, among it right now it's got which some is, zip it's got some zip which is uh action the action shooting element of long range precision uh we're gonna shoot a prs match
3: yeah yep
0: and uh we'll see how that goes really you're gonna shoot center fire or rimfire uh, good question. We are going to shoot center fire. Yeah. Okay. So it'll be actually at a Vortex title match, the Vortex Vengeance match.
2: Oh, nice. In Pennsylvania. That'll be fun.
0: Indeed. So, yes, uh, hopefully we don't make tremendous fools of ourselves <laughs> the other thing is you know if this goes well mark
1: uh we at least know of like eight or ten others that we're gonna have to also try i'm sure <laughs> exactly point. it seems like with a lot of this stuff you know even when we're talking about like oh yeah you can do the nrl stuff and just whatever old 22 like that's fine like you can start with that but if you start to like it you better buckle up because <laughs> you won't have that old 22 for much longer <laughs> All right. Yeah, exactly. Or um, center fire, or whatever. Right. Right. So, without further ado, that's what's
0: up next. But uh, yeah, we appreciate everybody for tuning in, and uh, we'll see you on the next one. Thanks. Thanks, everybody. Thank Bye. You. Bye. All right, that'll wrap it up for this episode of the Vortex Nation podcast. Thanks everybody for listening. Hit that subscribe button so you can always stay up to date on the latest happenings over here at the Vortex Nation podcast. Leave us a review or comment down below. We want to hear what you have to say about the show. Maybe what you like, maybe what you didn't like. So that way we can make these podcasts as good as they can be. You can also follow us on Instagram at Vortex Nation Podcast. We'll be posting about each episode released. So that way you can go back, find these things, maybe grab a little nugget of information that you can take with you to the range, out in the field. Or uh, maybe to the kitchen if we're talking about some good food. So again, everybody, thanks and happy hunting and shooting. We appreciate it. Have a good one.